think uh, creativity is humanity's you know, greatest superpower. Failing. 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 I know. When we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Oh, some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, I am so excited. I've literally told everybody about this guest today. And I want to give a shout out to my coach, Susan, for introducing Kelly Stam. Kelly has, what's amazing is she went to, she joined the Peace Corps at 40, which is beyond to me. She worked at Apple. She's worked at Human HRC, Human Rights Campaign. And Kelly, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but you helped develop corporate values at Apple. Did I say that right? Yeah, I mean, more or less, I think that's about right. You could say uh, we built purpose-driven communication um, at Apple, so which is based on, on company values, yeah. Love that. And we're going to use the she, her pronouns with Kelly. And as Kelly and I were going through this, she's like, you can use the she, her pronouns. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? Okay, tell me why... What is this? Why should I say that at the beginning of an intro? Teach me on that. Yeah, I think the best way to look at it is, you know, for um, for people is to try to put yourselves in the shoes of someone else. And especially for people who are um, part of um, less represented or more marginalized communities, um, the pronouns for them become, you know, really important and not that they aren't for the rest of us, but, um, and as a culture, so there's that. And then as a culture, as we, um, gosh, <laughs> struggle with, um, issues around identity, it presents an opportunity for all of us to be seen, um, and heard and accepted, you know, for who we are and pronouns are, you know, are one piece um, of that. Kelly, did the pronouns, did you learn that when you were working at HRC or was that something that, yeah, you learned yeah, that's before that? that's a really good question. Um, it was on my, the notion of pronouns and using them as we introduce ourselves today um, was on my radar um, when I was working at Apple because one big piece of the work um, that we were doing was around inclusion and diversity. Um, and so um, the notion of using pronouns and introductions and in other spaces and places was was certainly on on the radar. But at a place like HRC, where um, you know the center of gravity, is around um, identity on so many levels and around representation and around equity. Um, and, you know, HRC is the largest organization um, on the front lines uh, fighting for LGBTQ plus rights. And so for many, many folks, it's a critical um, piece of, of how they see, you know, themselves. And so, everyone at the organization and extend to our partners um, and sponsors and members, but across the community um, really embraces the importance of, um, of pronouns and the role of identity, both for ourselves and for the people that we're connecting with. So I, from, I, I like this word identity for a second. What is identity? What's your definition of identity? That's a big question, Sarah. <laughs> because when I was thinking about it, I was like, yeah, I mean, so for me, it can, like identity is, could be what I was born with. Identity could be what others saw me as. But really when I, is identity what I see in myself? Yeah, I, I personally, my, you know, my point of view on that is identity is a yeah. very personal um, can be a very personal thing. And I think it's represented, it's, you know, yeah, represented by so many different pieces, like you were just touching on of what makes Sarah Brown, Sarah Brown. And I think that's, you know, especially potent for you to be able to empower yourself to be in a position to say, what is my identity? And that can be 
around who you are. That can be around who you love. You know, uh, that can be around oh, right, so right. many different um, aspects of, of your life. And, um, and I think when we really step back, it's really interesting to see, like, if, if we were each a pie, all the different pieces that really um, make up each of that, the Sarah Brown identity, and to see at different points in our lives, like, where you lean into one aspect, who you are, and maybe in other times of your life where you lean into who you love. Um, and I think it's a pretty cool thing because those pieces, it's always the whole Sarah Brown, but um, those yeah. pieces tend to um, open and, um, and collapse a bit over time. When I, I don't think I told you this when we chatted on the phone, but the, one of the reasons why this podcast got started was because I closed a business that was really a failed startup and my identity was so attached to the success of that business that when the business failed, it was Sarah Brown failed, right? It was shame and humiliation around that. Uh, and then you question the identity, like, is my identity really tied to a business or not? No, for me, it wasn't. It, I didn't want it to be. Um, I didn't want that attachment anymore, but that was, that was sort of one of my lessons, mm. you know? Yeah. I love, um, um, I can imagine, um, how, how that felt because um, starting creating your own business, right. Is, um, I mean, it's, you're, you're birthing something that didn't exist yeah. until you imagined it and you just took, saw it as opportunity and possibility. So I can imagine how all that felt. And I, um, it's interesting. I think sometimes thinking of myself, there were times, younger years where I definitely felt like um, one example, like my work. And I think our culture still, especially Western culture has a lot of that where we lean into that, um, where my work um, was my identity. And I think what's fascinating is if you can kind of just allow yourself to even just take that piece and say, okay, well, maybe I lean a bit heavy into that, but like peel back the layers of what might be underneath that. Because the truth is probably a lot of my identity is like how I show up. It's not Apple or the human rights campaign, but it's what Kelly or Sarah's contribution is unique contribution to any one facet of life. And we're just talking about work. So I think if you can look at it as an opportunity to peel back and say, okay, well, these are my values. You know, oftentimes I'll say what I do represents what I believe. And so that's the identity piece more so than I, my identity is I work at this company or for this company. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, will you, will you share, would you mind sharing um, your values? What you, what did you just say? What you uh, do is what you believe. Yeah. What I do represents, yeah. yeah what what I believe, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, my values. Um, I think uh, creativity is humanity's, um, you know, greatest superpower. Um, so, um, <laughs> wait, stop. Say that again. It gave me tears. Say oh, it one more time. Creativity is humanity's greatest superpower. Um, so I think creativity is, is a big one for me. And I truly believe every single one of us is creative and that identity, like how we express it is like Sarah Brown expresses it one way, Kelly, whoever, you know, uh, and that's really freaking cool. Um, so creativity, however it shows up, um, mm -hmm. kindness, um, is huge. I actually saw a movie uh, recently and what my takeaway was from the movie, which was a long kind of amazing journey, but was, um, kindness is kind of a new superpower. And, um, so kindness, compassion, integrity, um, creativity, um, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to know what movie that was. It's I'm going to, say? and this is uh, I'm going to butcher the name of it, but it is it is everything every. I think I got it. Everything everywhere all at once, and okay. it is an incredible journey. 
Um, and I feel pretty good that I'm actually able to synthesize it down to, down to a headline, but I guess that's what an ad person is supposed to do. So, <laughs> yeah, good job. Even when I'm watching a freaking movie, I'm still trying to get to a headline or a key takeaway. Never ends. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's who you are. <laughs> yeah. It's who you are. It's who I am. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right, Kelly, uh, share with our listeners, because people always love to hear, where did you grow up? Tell us about your your family growing up. Mm. So I grew up um, uh, in Long Island, New York. So good. Uh-huh. So Long good. Island. Uh, my accent comes out on Fridays. I was recently sharing with Sarah that after a long week of chit-chat and lots of Zooms and whatnot life, I think, you know, the muscle gets the jaw muscle and the tongue get really freaking tired. So on Fridays, I walk the dog because that's how I grew up, walking the dog. But usually I don't talk that way, thankfully. Um, sorry, Long Islanders who are listening. Um, but There are. There are actually, we do have some. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I say but that with they're love. They're okay with it, too. I say that with love. Yes. And my dad and my yes. brother still carry the accent. My mom and I don't, which is a whole other bizarre thing. Why did Why did it work out oh, that way? Weird. But um, so I grew up in a town named Center Each. It's uh, Center Each, just run it all together like us Long Islanders do when we speak. Center Each, Long Island. It's neither here nor there. It's right dead center, like the name suggests, east, west, north, south. Lots of strip malls, um, some really pretty beaches. And I, um, I'm the daughter of um, Mary and Neil Stam. Um, both my parents were teachers. My mom taught, uh, they were both phys ed teachers. So um, and my dad actually, when I got to high school, was my high school gym teacher. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. What was that like? Oh, well, on, when I really needed something, it was great, like money or like permission or, <laughs> or <laughs> keys or a car or, you know, um, that was great. Right. But, but when I was holding hands with someone walking down the hall, you know, and I got uh-huh. spotted, I was a lot of trouble. Um, and I also won the teacher's pet award. Um, and it's probably because my dad like taught there. What am I supposed to do about that? You know what I mean? Teacher's pet. Um, and so, um, also my dad's a former Olympic, um, athlete, a former Olympic soccer player. And so I come from between. Really? Yes. My dad was the U S team. Uh, Cornelius is his full name or Neil, um, Sam. And he was the U S team captain. Um, and they were, went to the Olympics these two years in 68 and 72. So Munich and Mexico City. Um, so that's all to say that I grew up and still live when I'm with my family and very much so a sporto family. Um, and I have one brother, Kyle, who's five years younger than me. And, um, and Kyle has two beautiful children, my niece Mia and my nephew Brody. And so my mom and dad have retired out of New York many years ago and now live in the mountains of North Carolina. And, uh, and Kyle and his family live nearby in South Carolina. So, um, so growing Great up was visit. a lot of beach time in the summers because my parents were teachers. And at the time, teachers didn't you know, work in the summers. They, they had yeah. took on odd jobs, but we just would hit the beach at hit Dunkin' Donuts, get some munchkins at the beach at like 7 a.m. and literally like barbecue and leave the beach at 7 p.m. Um, so it was that and then sports, you know, non nonstop. Is your dad competitive? Oh, am I competitive? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and my brother. And I so mean, you got the, you guys got the competitive genes. Yeah, definitely got the competitive And for you, the com- competition comes out... What does it come out in? You know, I think at this point, um, it's it's probably a little bit less comp- like pure competition, but like it's drive. And I think that came through sports and I grew up as a gymnast. So the commitment that you have and all the way to college. So like, um, you know, there's just a lot of discipline and with two, you know, athletic parents and, you know, an Olympic athlete, it's just the drive piece. So I think for me, it's less competition at this point or over the years and, and more about kind of, you know, the drive to, to do well. Over the years, I've coached executives and young professionals looking to embrace their strengths, level up their leadership and find their dream careers. Just like my podcast guests, my clients have been stuck 
but I've helped them navigate whatever challenge they're facing and find a way forward. That's the goal of our 10-week coaching program, Move Forward. Through my guests' best practices, our coaching tools, my team and I will help you discover your primary motivations and challenge the unhealthy and limiting beliefs that are holding you back. You'll use neuroscience to create new healthy habits and create a move forward plan for your future. If you're interested, you can visit failforwardpod.com backslash coaching to learn more and to sign up for a one hour exploratory coaching session. That's failforwardpod.com backslash coaching. So the, the, the drive, cause when you and I talked, you know, you, you made some career decisions, right? You were in advertising marketing and then you went off to the Peace Corps at 40, which is a really big shift. Why? Cause I mean, advertising is drive, 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 drive. I mean that you are on the hamster wheel in advertising. Yeah, I mean, very, very true. Um, definitely requires a lot of drive, and that worked. You know, that worked for me. I, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to kind of like really um, explore and reinvent myself and my experience through advertising. And the number, like each time I shifted gears, I did that, and I kind of got to a point. Um, I lost someone really, really, really important and dear to me. Um, and, uh, I think Sean's passing at a very young age, um, kind of shifted my perspective on things. And it was that intersecting with, I wasn't quite sure at a certain point how I would, could reinvent again within advertising. And that intersection created quite a bit of like internal, um, like internal misalignment and, and challenges emotionally. And, and, and I felt it and it was really real and I couldn't figure out why I was like doing what I was doing and um, why I was working so hard. If my, if like, if I wasn't that happy, like, why am I in this like so hard? Why am I driving so hard? Why, you know, life and then the life is short, you know, and gosh, isn't it all about love? What, what more does the world need? full stop love more love and so um so yeah so I hit that point and thankfully uh I was uncomfortable enough where I sensed I needed to create change and I um had a very simple back to a headline but a a very simple thought that landed in my body that was like I just want my work to come from my heart and um and that at the time wasn't going to happen in advertising or marketing or, or or most places um and uh, so I went off to an inf- a friend was going to an information session for the Peace Corps down in Hermosa Beach. Wait, where are you living at this place? Are you living abroad or are you living in the States? Yeah, I had returned to the States and I had been back from Amsterdam for about a year and I was back in L.A. basically. Um, okay. And so I hopped okay. down to Hermosa Beach and went to an information session on the Peace Corps Um and that was kind of, that was kind of it. Um, I, that was kind of, so you know, when you said you had the misalignment, yeah. Ha, uh, can you describe what misalignment felt like? And the reason why I'm asking is because sometimes I don't know when I'm in misalignment until it gets it to the point where I'm touching bottom. I'd love to know that I'm in misalignment before I touch or hit rock bottom. So how did you know? Um, yeah. And I appreciate what you just said, Sarah. And I too often, you know, feel that it, it goes that way. Um, the way I explain the feeling is my actions or behaviors don't seem to match with what I know, who I am, what I believe. And so that for me was like working, working, one example, working, 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 you know, and then my heart is like, my goodness, like, I just want to help. I just want to do good. I just lost some, you know, a love of my life. I, you know, like life is short, like it's all about love, you know, and, 
And that eventually, to me, that is things are out of alignment. And um, yeah, that that's things are out of alignment. Uh, Kelly, and you don't have to share this. Um, and we can we can always cut this out. But I'm so curious when you made that decision to go to the Peace Corps. Like, did you do you felt like did you feel like Sean was helping you in that? Did you ever feel any connection? Um, yeah, I appreciate you asking that. And, um, and, and yes, and I, and I still like another, like, so grateful. Um, like I, I still feel at big life moments or silly any day, everyday moments. Like I still feel, um, his presence or what you said, like that connection. And I, and I think one of the things, and Sean was, um, you know, a incredible human being, um, also a product of the world of advertising and it also worked and worked, you know, and, but had a huge energy and life and heart and everything. And, um, he was always with me, the my greatest advocate and the word that comes to mind is joy he was always my advocate for why don't you shift gears and like find the joy like if this isn't it that's totally cool like just focus on joy and creating that and uh, you know I, I still carry that you know with me so so yes you know I think that decision I I like to imagine that he was like Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to the Peace Corps, sister. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you head off to the Peace Corps. You're in the Peace Corps for how many years? Uh, full service in the Peace Corps is two years and three months. The first three months is training and in country. And you either make it or you go home. Um, so, uh, yeah, two years and three months. And then tell the story how the Apple roll came up because I think it's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, I um, I got placed um, back then at least with the Peace Corps. You didn't get to choose where you went. So, um, and I'll never, real quick, I'll, I'll never forget the moment when I learned um, where I was going because you have no idea where they're going to place you in the world. And I was on a flight going over to Thailand for my last advertising like production or something. And I had the paper packet yeah. And it's all handwritten and in paper at this point, like with me, because it had just arrived from the Peace Corps before I went to the airport from L.A. And um, anyway, so I sat down and in, on the plane and I like opened it up and it's handwritten. You are going to <laughs> and I'll never forget, like Nicaragua. And at the time, you know, whatever year that was, 2010, 2011. I was like, I knew Nicaragua, but I knew nothing about it. So um, so anyway, that is where my service was in a, in a beautiful but the middle of nowhere, um, town named Bawako, Nicaragua. And I lived in, um, yeah, I served that community and loved the work I was doing. And I happened to live in a kind of 100, 200 square foot kind of concrete tin roof, um, box. And, um, and yeah, and so I was near the end of my service near, not super near, but three to six months. And, um, a, a friend of mine back in the States reached out and basically on Facebook or something and said like, are you finished down there yet? Or when the heck are you coming back? And I was like, I'm not done. I'm barely making it because no shit. The tagline, the toughest job you'll ever love for the Peace Corps is one of the best taglines as the ad person like ever, because it's so captures like what that experience is like, at least for me. Um, and so I just said to Alberto, I, do not try to get to me because he was at Apple and I knew where the conversation was headed. And then before I knew it, um, my little flip phone <laughs> down in Bawako, Nicaragua, <laughs> as the roosters are, are what, are, what, are, what sound, how do you describe the sound of rooster? Yeah. The roosters are talking, mm-hmm. um, you know, the megaphones are screaming off the back of the pickup trucks, the coconut ladies banging on my door, you know, it's like mayhem. That's what life was. And, uh, and my phone rang and sure enough, it was a woman, an amazing woman from Apple, um, who Alberto told her <laughs> she could find me at this, this number. So um, Apple found me while I was still in Nicaragua, and it all worked out months later. And after a couple trips from Bawako, Nicaragua to Cupertino, California, um, it, it all worked out. So about six months later, Tell I the started. Story how you basically had no clothes <laughs> to wear. Yeah, I um, 
you know, the Peace Corps basically lets you um, bring two duffel bags. You get on a plane from D.C. and you're there for two years and three months if you make it. And you get two duffel bags. So whatever's in that two duffel bags is basically what you got for two years. Um, So I uh, had been wearing the same sweaty, you know, and sweaty clothes. Um, I had limited electricity only on certain days of the week. I only had running water one day a week. Um, uh, Hand wash my laundry in buckets. And so... Needless to say, when the first Apple trip came up, I said to the recruiter, like, I know this is probably a bit more information than what you need, but I have not been back in two years. I do not have clothes appropriate for an interview. I have not had an, see my hair. I have not had a haircut in two years, not to mention a mani-pedi or any, like, I am so not presentable. So can you bring me in a day or two early because mama's got to go shopping and get cleaned up. And sure enough, they did. And uh, thank goodness. Um, So, yeah, so I I, um, showed up with some Nicaraguan chocolates and some Nicaraguan coffee for all the people I got to interview with. And I was cleaned up. I I guess I was presentable. It all worked out. So I must have done okay. Kelly, back then, not back then, you know what I mean. So you helped define, you're helping to, you're helping Apple to define this. People hadn't done this before. How did you figure out, how did you know what to do? Mm, Wow, that's another big question, um, Sarah. I mean, I know you love creativity. <laughs> well, yes. So I know Thank you figured you it out. But yes. You know. um, well, you know, the saying, it takes a village. Um, it, very, yes. very true. And I think at the time, we were quite lucky that there were a handful, and it's a huge company, a handful of people who really saw the amazing opportunity in front of um, Apple to dig into this beautiful treasure chest of work that Apple, because to Apple's credit, they were already doing the work, like the innovations and initiatives and the programs, whether it was around the environment or whether it was around supply responsibility or accessibility or inclusion and diversity. They were all so they had some of these social impact initiatives happening. All of them. I mean, they were way. But ahead. what was missing? There was so no communication was around it, right? So all of okay, it's happening. Okay, okay, People okay, okay. internally at Apple didn't even know that these groups were doing this amazing work that is giving back to um, you know to communities and to the world and on important social issues. And Tim Cook gets credit for having that be critical to him was that he was always about and is I'm sure you know doing the right thing and this work was going to be part of his legacy and so the work was happening but people internally in different groups right 120,000 people had no idea that there were groups focused on the environment and innovations Um, and then externally And I mean, think of it now, right now we're in an era, if you are a brand or an organization and you are not clear and sharing your purpose um, values, but your purpose with consumers, you, you're, you're You're done, you will be left behind. And if you're Mm -hmm. not yet, you will in very short order. So now we're going back, you know, at least well, it would be seven years or so. And so we knew there was a huge opportunity, but we needed to develop communication strategies around each of those areas so that we could begin to weave those beautiful narratives of storytelling. And the beauty was Apple was mm-hmm. so innovative in those, as innovative as Apple was around an iPhone. They, Lisa Jackson and her team were innovating as brilliantly on the environment. And that goes for all the other areas as well. It was incredible. So you have this treasure chest and it's like, how do you tell, start sharing that with the world and how you tell those stories? What were were the biggest challenges? So greatest challenges of, um, of building purpose-driven communications at a product-driven company. (laughs) Yes. And and let's be clear. Yeah. At a product-driven company. So you're basically having to sell and influence this new thinking. 100%. And that all starts from the inside because nothing anywhere in the world of marketing or advertising really goes to the outside until the, you know, the inside people creating it, right? Or like, okay, yes, we'll talk about the um, environment instead of the iPhone. 
um, you know, there's a lot of people involved in that. So big picture, that was, that was a huge challenge. And, um, and the muscle memory wasn't there for Apple to do this type of work. So, um, you know, we, um, had a big, but that was such a cool opportunity. That's back to creativity. I mean, we got to create the roadmap. We got to build the teams. We got to pilot things. Um, and we built this whole, you got to pioneer a sea change in that organization. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I, am so fortunate and so grateful for the opportunity when I just incredible, um, work that we got to do. Kelly, this is going to sound like such a goober question. Uh, but you know how Steve jobs used to have like those Apple meetings once a year or whatever. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Do they still, (laughs) do they still have those? And if they do, were you guys able to like be a part of that presentation? I'm just like really hoping that you could, like when Tim Cook would come out, he would use your Oh, stuff. heck, are you talking about launch right. events? Like when they launch your product, you're talking about the secret, like just the top hundred execs get together and talk about what's what. Oh, I was talking launch okay, events. Yes. Like when the new yep. iPhone would come out. So maybe you wouldn't be talking about social impact during those. Cause we did really though. That product. was, that was to me, that was one you of did? the huge wins for us. The, the moment that Lisa Jackson, who, for anyone who doesn't know, Lisa Jackson is the former head of the environmental protection agency under um, Barack Obama and Tim Cook hired Lisa at Apple um, back around the time I had started. And so we were kindred spirits along with some other people in this work. So the moment when we got, and it was the environment first. And since then you can see it woven into launch events. Um, But when I saw Lisa Jackson, the, day that we were like, all right, Lisa's in the launch event, she's going on stage, and it is all about the environment campaign. That was huge. That was the first time. And it wasn't just a mention. The environment was one piece of the story for that launch event, along with a lot of brilliant, you know, product stories. But that was a huge moment and started the path to integration, which I think is the other theme that's really important. Did you know Lisa before that? I did not. Mm -mm. But you loved working yeah, with her. Yeah, uh, one of the highlights um, yeah. of my time there. I think um, you know it's one of that first. I went into the first uh, the global marketing team. Um, she asked if the global marketing team would take a meeting because she was ready to get marketing's help, you know, and uh, around the environment work. And the moment I think uh, I walked into the room and met her, I think we both probably like. I remember we hugged. And I was at Apple and like, you never really <laughs> express a lot of affection. Apple. <laughs> um, so, you know, Lisa just came right to me and gave me a big hug. And we were two women in a, in a room of a, a lot of men and uh, we both have curly hair and, uh, and ridiculous sense of humor. And so we were just joined at the hip and, and trying to advance the work and, and yeah, and help Apple share the amazing innovations that were happening outside of the product in product, but around these issues and this, uh, these yes. initiatives. And a little birdie told me, and I know you wouldn't tell me this, but your roles, all those roles were really new roles. Yes. I mean, you created those roles as you all developed more and created more and right. Uh, the truth is the work, the, the work and people doing the work uh, was already happening in areas like supplier responsibility and the environment and um, accessibility, which is technology for people with disabilities and the list goes on. So there were people in those groups doing that work, but in marketing, at the time, no one had an interest in doing any of that work. And so after some time, um, they created a role for me in marketing and said, hey, can you give up the iPad? Because I was hired to run iPad. I wasn't hired to do any of the work that we're talking about. Um, so for the first... Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean you were hired? You were hired to do marketing for yeah, iPad? I was hired as the, the global brand director. Oh, yeah. Know. I mean, I saw no, that in your in LinkedIn, but yeah. Okay. Um, so I was hired to do iPad, and it was an amazing time for iPad, challenging because it was still new, um, and loved a lot of the work I was doing. Um, but it wasn't until I overheard a conversation five or six months into my job at Apple um, about rumblings about an, an envir- a project on the environment and Earth Day. And I think for most of us, we were all like, "What Apple does work on the environment? Like, no idea." And I just said. 
to my boss at the time, I was like, look, I'll keep doing iPad, but I, I want in on this environment thing. And um, I, I can do it. I think I'm going to love it. I think, and quite frankly, I don't think many other people wanted to do it. They're all there to work on iPhone or iPad, you know, or iPad or something. And so I raised yeah. my hand and went into the meeting that I was describing. And Lisa and I started the work on the environment. And then we had, a, we f- that felt good. So it was like, all right, now supplier responsibility, now accessibility and one by one. So at a certain point, the Marcom leadership, marketing, excuse me, leadership came to me and said, okay, we think you should give up iPad at this point and we'll, we'll create a role um, for you to build um, the work around uh, what we were calling our values with a capital V. So these programs and initiatives that we're, that we're talking about. And so, yeah, they developed a role for me and I, I gave up, I gave up iPad. Um, so, and then I spent the next few years really, um, yeah, building teams, building platforms and campaigns, and also experimenting with the best way to help Apple present a brand that not only cared about amazing products, but cared about like how they're made and how they impact the people who are making them. Right. So yeah, really cool opportunity. So, uh, when you, this is so random when you worked there at like how many hours a week were you working? Like, did you work all the time? I did. I think Apple's really good at, at hiring people who are pretty darn committed, <laughs> committed to the cause. Yeah. The good news for me was, you know, yes, um, a lot. And yes, it came with stress. The stakes are really high. Um, having said that, transitioning to the work around capital V values and building purpose into a brand like, like, I was, I felt like, you know, it was, it started to make sense for me. Like, why the hell am I at Apple after spending two years in the Peace Corps teaching high school students about entrepreneurship and creativity and helping like so many, like why Apple? So like to come around a curve, you know, go like, Hey, I'll do this. Um, I, it started to make sense why I was at Apple. So that's all to say yes on the long hours, yes on the stress and how freaking cool that things were coming back into alignment, you know? So, yeah. 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 And when you made that decision to go to Apple, were you like, did you just trust your intuition or did you question why you were doing it? I had no, that's not fair. I mean, I want, I was going to say I had no idea why, um, I loved the people I met, um, mm-hmm. and after two visits and meeting probably at least 10 people every, you know, each time I really genuinely loved the people I met and they were incredibly creative and talented and really good, kind people. And quite frankly, you know, those two that I kind of, I, I went with that. And I also saw an opportunity to work on a global brand. Um, and I hadn't worked at that scale, you know, before I really hadn't. And so that was a huge opportunity. And, um, but I really wasn't sure what I was in for. And I'll never forget my boss at the time, right when he, he had made the offer to me. We're on a phone, my flip phone. We're back in Nicaragua. I'm on a flip phone and he's in Cupertino. <laughs> yeah. And he wanted to talk to me one additional time after I accepted the offer. I was close to accepting. And he basically, one of those moments I'll never forget. And he's like, so I just wanted to ask you, because I didn't know why he wanted to talk to me again. <laughs> Are you ready? And I, the, I said, I'm sure. I didn't know what to say. So I said, yes. Um, but I had, I, there's no way I could answer that question. You know, I've been living in a third world country, uh, uh, right. the level of poverty right. of the, along with the community. And I, yeah. Um, but you know what? I, I was ready. It took a while. You know, the transition was not, was not the easiest, but I was ready and, and look, you know, with a bit of creativity and, and perseverance and, great collaboration and teamwork, you know, a group of people who really wanted to see if we could create beautiful change. It was pretty great. Can you, I, I, so I, I mean, I know a couple of people that went to the Peace Corps, but years ago, 
What does that transition look like? And does the Peace Corps help you transition back? They do a fantastic job of focusing on reverse culture shock and the transition home. Um, it's yeah. one of those things to be totally honest. Um, so yes, they do. The last three months of your service, you spend quite a bit of time going to like a central place within country and getting training on the transition back home. Um, so they okay. are very okay. intentional around that. I think some of the challenge is, and at least I believe this is true with a lot of life and maybe the way I live it, you don't really know until really know, right? It's like really know that knowing that you and I, you know, somatically, you don't really know until you're in it. And that was the truth. And it was, it was a mess, you know, for me. It was so hard. It was hard. Can you explain? Yeah, I think um, um, the most vivid memory I have is more um, from life than the work piece, although it was happening at work. I just didn't realize that was happening was what was happening is reverse okay. culture shock. And, you know, and I've been thrown into a 120 or 50,000 people organization, right? I mean, and I was living by myself in a, in a concrete box. But it was the life piece. And I remember all of my stuff that I had put in storage when I left L.A. for Nicaragua. Um, and it sat in storage for two years and uh, almost six months because I traveled after for a little bit, arrived in San Francisco. Now I'm in San Francisco and I'm used to getting, a, I'm, I'm on a salary I was with a Peace score of $100 a month, right? And that had to cover everything. That had to cover housing, bus, food, health, like everything. Um, and I just remember first the prices in San Francisco and I was starting to feel a, a very real what ended up, I think, being a panic attack. So that was happening a bit mm-hmm. because I'll, I'm just thinking about rent and prices and everything. And then all of my stuff, should, the moving company shows up. And I had been living um, in a beautiful way, a life of like, what do you really need? Not what do you want, but what do you need to live safely and healthy? I had one fork. I had one plate. I had one spoon. I had, you know, one chair, one cot, I mean, pretty much and a lot of sweaty, gross clothes. But, um, and so all of my stuff showed up and it was to me at the time, a ton of stuff. And I, I ended up throwing out almost every photo, every cassette, every book or donating, but everything because I had a, a true kind of breakdown that I couldn't quite understand where all this stuff was coming from and it didn't represent how I was supposed to live anymore. Um, So that to me is a moment like I'll never forget. And like I said, the work stuff played, I think played out each and every day, um, but less evident. So I think this is really interesting because we started off talking about identity Mm -hmm. and I feel like all those things like, when you lived in Nicaragua, it was one and then getting like the photos and all the stuff, like even photos, I wouldn't think would be a lot. You know what I mean? I'd be like, well, it's a picture. You're going to keep pictures. And you said you were like, eh, I don't want. Yeah. Um, it the was stuff. This, and yeah. And I guess your the stuff in some ways was an, an identity, um, but it was endless stuff. Right. So it's clothes and it's books and it's uh, little pieces of furniture, or, you know, the stuff we all carry yeah. around with us. And it, um, I think the identity shift was a, a bit more around uh, like what's really important underneath, like what do you need versus what do you want, you know, or like simplicity, you could say, because um, it will, I think it was around like what really, really matters, you know, underneath all of that. And, and it wasn't the stuff in those boxes. It it really, it wasn't. Um, All I was focused on was like, how was I, was I going to be able to afford living now? You know, I was so in kind of survival mode, right? Yeah. I was thinking like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, you, you really went straight to those because for two years, that's what you had to focus on. Exactly right. Okay. But okay. You had money though. So in Nicaragua, couldn't you get money from your bank account? Yeah. I mean, I had some money in savings and for me, I probably had some more than, you know, my fellow volunteers who were 23 years old. Right. Um, and they were really having to figure out how to get by on a hundred bucks. Um, 
but yes, you know, you could access, um, you could access your money from home if you had an ATM card that worked overseas, right? Um, you could right, access, but you, it's not, wasn't first. Yeah. Short. Okay. Right. All right. I just was thinking, I was like, could you not yeah, do that? Yes. Okay. To be fair, you could. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so you feel like you get a lot of success at Apple and then I'm guessing misalignment starts to happen or you're not feeling the flow or you're like, I want to change. And so you leave Apple and I want to, you go to HRC, which, but since then you've left HRC and I feel like you're on an even different spiritual sort of journey, identity journey. I don't know what, what you want to call it. Right. And so where are you today? Um, that's a beautiful question. Thank you for asking. Um, you know, I, I've admittedly thought a bit, you know, about that. I, um, I made a decision, um, not too long ago, which felt like the first decision in as long, uh, in my, as long as I can remember in my adult life where I chose to, um, make a move is kind of the a tactical piece of it, but I chose to change my life and make a move based on life and to a number, but values and think like based on life versus work, basically all of my moves um, to date, all of them have been, and I'm grateful for every experience. I, I love the adventure of it. I'm, that is kind of how I want to live. Um, they've been driven or inspired, <laughs> driven, inspired um, by, by work. And um, this time I was determined to start to create the life part for myself that I wanted. And um, so I left San Francisco. Um, I was working for HRC already at the time. I started right at the beginning of the pandemic and then needed to get through the election because as part of our work at HRC, we were neck deep in, in Trump and Biden and everything that came with that. So I was like, as soon as I, like, we get through the election, I'm hitting the road. And, um, and, and yeah, and so I landed in a beautiful little place named Ojai, which is in Chumash. The people who settled the area, Chumash language means the Valley of the Moon. And it is a beautiful little valley, teeny tiny, 7,000 people still have a pride parade. I went, I went in March this year. It was amazing and got the history of the whole thing. Um, And uh, it's about an hour and a half North of Los Angeles. So, uh, and I chose Ojai for, uh, for a couple of reasons. One community, Um, it is a town built around a true sense of community. And most of my close community is down in LA from the number of times I've lived there. And then nature, um, it was my other piece. And, and I can walk to hiking trails. I can walk to mountain biking. And, and, um, and you know, I feel like oh, it gets me a little tender. Sorry. Um, Don't be sorry. Yeah. Um, and a thank you to Susan Green, who is how you and I found each other. But, um, you know, who's with me along for along this journey. But I had the Ikigai, if you know what that word is, but it's a Japanese. It's um, in Japanese, more or less, means purpose. And Japanese people are really, as a culture, focused around having just a purpose, no matter how simple or how complex in life. And so I am a huge fan of all things Japanese culture. And um, I built my own little ikigai and uh, community and nature were two critical and love and giving back. And there are a number of them, but were the two pieces that I felt like um, really needed to come into my space. So right now I'm I've been focusing on getting my life, you know, sorted. And I think the next chapter for me is how can my work support my life um, versus life, you know, sometimes supporting work. Oh, my gosh. Um, And, uh, yeah, Susan and I were joking last week. That's like such a big freedom of choice. Yeah, I'm not there. Just so you know, I'm not there yet, but, but I want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> just I, that's like a leap of faith. Yeah. I, I'm not saying I'm there. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, oh, I'm not there. there yet. Um, it is a, maybe a vision I think you're there. for maybe what the next chapter is versus what's the next job, at least for me, right? What's the next job yeah. or what's the next, it's like, 
well, let's put the framing around it and then maybe give it some freedom to drop in. I don't know. But yeah, um, I'm hopeful. That's so inspiring. Can you give that one more quote again? Because I want to close with that quote about the job and the life and the. Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, the vision would be to. Um, to allow um, and create uh, work supporting life um, rather than life supporting work. And so, yeah, and I think the Ohio Move is a piece of that. Um, and energetically, hopefully, the space will, will help me out <laughs> to execute that vision. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, you took action, which yeah. is, you know, big. Yeah really big. Kelly, you are so badass. I'm so happy that you were on today. It was like beyond my dreams. I'm, I'm like, can't even tell you how grateful I am that you took the time seriously. Uh, not just today, but with our pre-call. So you're the best. Thank you so and much. Thank you. I've loved getting to know you and really value the conversation. Um, it's been a blast. Um, and feels really good to talk about a few things with you like this. So um, thank you. And um, I look forward to our continued chats. <laughs> oh, it's going to happen. You might be sick of me. But I think I do want to come out to Ohio. I, 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 have, I have a guest room. Seriously. I'm sure you want your own space, but just know if you didn't. And I love to host people thank here. You. So I'll find us the really fun things. So I hope you'll let me know if you decide and I will help you in any way you'd like. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Susan green, you're going to go with us. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah. Susan. Uh -huh. just... Yep. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.